0: Hello, welcome to the second episode of Yoga for Latter-day Saints, glad you're back. Last time we had a brief introduction to the history of yoga and the sutras of Patanjali. This time we're going to dive deeper into the sutras and discuss how the teachings there can help us to become better disciples of Jesus Christ and improve physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. The first of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali can be translated as, Now the teachings of yoga begin. This suggests that the student has arrived at a point in their life where they're ready or prepared to embark on a journey of self-discovery and spiritual growth. The student must also approach their practice with discipline and a willingness to learn. This path is timeless and always relevant and is accessible to anyone who is willing to undertake the journey. Every person who embarks on the journey of self-discovery and spiritual growth will start at different points, but what matters most is where we are headed. As we progress along the slope of personal progress, we must recognize that our future is not determined by our starting point, but by the choices we make along the way. It's in this process of becoming more that we can turn our paths toward heaven with the help of our Savior. Elder Clark G. Gilbert taught, we believe in the divine potential of all of God's children and in our ability to become something more in Christ. In the Lord's timing, it's not where we start." but where we are headed that matters most. We start in different places with different endowments. Some are born with high intercepts, full of opportunity. Others face beginning circumstances that are challenging and seem unfair. We then progress along a slope of personal progress. Our future will be determined far less by our starting point and much more by our slope. Jesus Christ sees divine potential no matter where we start. He saw it in the beggar, the sinner, and the infirm. He saw it in the fisherman, the tax collector, and even the zealot. No matter where we start, Christ considers what we do with what we are given. While the world focuses on our beginning point, God focuses on our slope. In the Lord's calculus, he will do everything he can to help us turn our slopes toward heaven. For any struggling with difficult starting points, please recognize that the Savior knows our struggles. He took upon him our infirmities that his bowels might be filled with mercy, that he might know how to succor us according to our infirmities. Focus on where you are headed and not where you began. It would be wrong to ignore your circumstances. They are real and need to be addressed. But over-focusing on a difficult starting point can cause it to define you and even constrain your ability to choose. Involve the Lord in the process of lifting your slope. The prophet Nephi taught that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. We must do our best, which includes repentance, but it is only through the Lord's grace that we can realize our divine potential. Focusing on a high starting point can often trap us into feeling that we are thriving when in fact our inner slope may be quite stagnant. Harvard professor Clayton M. Christensen Not that the most successful people are the humblest because they are confident enough to be corrected by and learn from anyone. Even when things appear to be going well, we must seek out opportunities to improve through prayerful petition. Regardless of whether we start in abundant or difficult circumstances, we will realize our ultimate potential only when we make God our partner. The second sutra defines the goal of yoga. Yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. The sutra suggests that the mind is naturally restless and prone to distraction. The ultimate goal of yoga is to bring about a state of stillness in the mind, where mental fluctuations and distractions are suspended, allowing for inner peace, clarity, and connection to a deeper aspect of oneself. Pierre Tellard de Chardin concisely described the first book of Pentadjali's sutras when he said, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. LDS children all over the world learn, I am a child of God as one of their first songs. The message that we are spirit children of heavenly parents is discussed in many aspects of the doctrine of the church. We are also taught that despite our celestial heritage, we must experience this life in the fallen state of our mortal bodies. I particularly enjoy Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 13:12. for now we see through a glass darkly. It's difficult to separate our spiritual selves from the fallen, imperfect, mental, and physical bodies that obscure our perception. And using Paul's analogy, the world in which we perceive is obscured by our imperfect bodies and minds, just as the view from a window can be obscured by imperfections in the glass or smudges. Our perception of reality is limited by the physical and mental restrictions of our bodies, as well as our past experiences and biases. These limitations can result in cognitive distortions, which are flawed ways of thinking that can negatively impact our emotions, behaviors, and decisions. To better understand these cognitive distortions, we can look at the Bayesian brain theory, which suggests that our brains make predictions based on past experiences and adjust those predictions based on new information. However, if our past experiences were flawed or biased, our brains may make incorrect predictions or assumptions that do not align with reality. For instance, if someone has a fear of flying, their brain may perceive flying as a genuine threat despite statistics indicating that it's one of the safest modes of transportation. This cognitive distortion is based on past experiences and biases that may not be entirely accurate. However, it's important to note that this is not the person's fault for thinking that way. It's the way their brain is wired. The brain perceives flying as a real threat and is just trying to protect them. That's why simply saying, you'll be fine, does nothing to calm them. It also explains why immersion therapy can be effective for some fears as more safe interactions begin to change the brain's perception of that threat. Yoga can be instrumental in recognizing and overcoming these cognitive distortions by stilling the fluctuations of the mind. By practicing yoga, we can learn to recognize and manage our thoughts and emotions. Additionally, we can adjust our predictions and assumptions to better align with reality. By quieting our minds, we can recognize and overcome our cognitive distortions and experience the world more accurately. We'll discuss these cognitive distortions more in the next episode. The third sutra can be translated as, then they abide in their own nature. Tagli suggests that when the fluctuations of the mind have been stilled, the practitioner can experience a state of pure awareness or consciousness the state is sometimes described as the true nature of the self or the soul and the student can experience a sense of wholeness and completeness this is a state of being where the individual is no longer identified with their thoughts emotions or external circumstances but rather with their essential nature as a conscious being a state of pure awareness where they experience a sense of inner peace joy and fulfillment a good description of this is in first kings 19 when the word of the lord said to elijah Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. Sometimes we have to peel back decades of accumulated noise to get to the point where our eyes and our ears will be opened but the reward is worth the work the fourth sutra states at other times they identify with the fluctuations of the mind this acknowledges the fact that even though the ultimate goal of yoga is to achieve a state of stillness and pure awareness, the mind will continue to produce thoughts and mental fluctuations caused by the distractions and stresses of everyday life. It also suggests that the process is a journey rather than a destination, and that the practitioner must continue to work on quieting the mind and identifying with their true nature over time. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf taught, Brothers and sisters, we have to stay with it. We don't acquire eternal life in a sprint. This is a race of endurance. We have to apply and reapply the divine gospel principles. Day after day, we need to make them part of our normal life. When Alma compared the word of God to a seed, he explains that the seed grows into a fruit-bearing tree gradually as a result of our faith and our diligence and patience and long-suffering. It's true that some blessings come right away. Soon after we plant the seed in our hearts, it begins to swell and sprout and grow. And by this, we know that the seed is good. From the very moment we set foot upon the pathway of discipleship, seen and unseen blessings from God begin to attend us. But we cannot receive the fullness of these blessings if we neglect the tree and take no thought for its nourishment. We must nourish it with great care that it may get root. Only then can we partake of the fruit that is sweet above all that is sweet and pure above all that is pure and feast upon this fruit even until we are filled that we hunger not, neither shall we thirst. For the practice today, I want to add another tool for you to use, visualization. Visualization can affect the brain in a similar way to actual experiences. When we visualize something vividly, we activate similar brain regions and neural pathways as when we actually experience it, which can change our predictions and expectations about the world. For example, studies have shown that visualizing oneself performing a physical task, such as playing an instrument or practicing a sport, can improve actual performance. This is because the brain is tricked into thinking that the visualization is a real experience and it updates its predictions and expectations accordingly. Similarly, visualization can also be used to manage emotions and reduce anxiety. By visualizing a calming and peaceful scene, the brain can be tricked into experiencing similar emotions to actually being in that peaceful place. This can help reduce stress and anxiety levels. On the other hand, dwelling on all the things that could go wrong wrong in a on the other hand, dwelling on all of the things that could go wrong in a situation can increase stress and anxiety levels and add that experience to the list of bad experiences. It's important to note that visualization is not a substitute for actual experiences, but rather a tool that can complement them. Regular practice of visualization and mindfulness techniques can help to strengthen the neural pathways associated with positive emotions and experiences, leading to greater well-being and resilience over time. So let's move on to the practice. Find a comfortable position, either on a chair or a cushion, with your back straight and your shoulders relaxed. Close your eyes and take a deep breath in through your nose, holding it for a few seconds and then exhaling slowly through your mouth. You can use the ocean breath that we learned last episode or just breathe naturally. Imagine yourself sitting in a peaceful place, surrounded by nature. be a forest a beach or a mountain allow yourself to be fully present in this moment use all of your senses as you mentally observe this place listen for the sounds smell the aromas on the breeze feel the warmth of the sun take a deep breath in and as you exhale release any tension from your body feel yourself becoming more and more relaxed with each breath now imagine that you're beginning a meditation practice you find a quiet place to sit close your eyes you take a deep breath and begin to focus on your breath as you inhale Feel your chest and stomach expand. As you exhale, feel the tension leaving your body. Your mind may begin to wander, but you gently bring your attention back to your breath. As you continue to focus on your breath, you begin to feel a sense of peace and calmness wash over you. The layers of distraction peel away, one by one allowing you to listen more closely for the still, small voice. You feel a sense of connection to something greater than yourself. With each breath, you become more and more aware of the present moment. You notice the sounds around you. The feeling of your breath moving in and out of your body, and the sensation of your body resting on the ground. You allow yourself to be fully present in this moment. As you continue to meditate, you feel a sense of clarity and peace. You feel your mind becoming more focused and your thoughts becoming more clear you feel a sense of gratitude for this moment of silence as the meditation comes to an end you take a deep breath slowly open your eyes you feel rejuvenated and refreshed you can carry this sense of peace and clarity with you throughout the day. Remember, you can return to this peaceful place and feeling of calmness at any time simply by taking a deep breath and allowing yourself to be fully present in the moment. As we finish up today, I want to thank you for listening in. and I also want to read from John 8, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to get in touch through the Yoga for LDS Facebook page or email at yoga, the number four, LDS at gmail.com.